All right, adults, what are you afraid of? Oh, you think I'm rhetorical here. <laughs> you know, some of the first things that I think of are, you know, April 15th is coming, I'm afraid of taxes. You know, we can, we can talk about things, some things you never grow out of. Spiders still give me a fright, especially in my basement when I'm picking up clothing and it's just right there. What are we afraid of? Probably a number of things here. What was that? <laughs> Cleaning Doug's garage. Okay. Job loss. Different things. I think that uh, the sad part of growing up is that we never grow out of some of our fears. That uh, if someone had told me when I was six or ten that, don't worry, your fears will just change, just sort of like anything else. It w- I wouldn't have been nearly as excited to actually grow up. Because the, the fears, they change, they morph, they become more actually distressing in a lot of ways. You know, what used to be fear of the dark or fear of the unknown turns into uh, fear of a um, lack of purpose in life. Uh, a fear of, of harm coming to your own family. Fear that of, of no significance, of, of that you won't make a difference in life. Um, there's so many things that run far deeper than what the, the kids have. And they, they run to us and, and they look to us for strength. And yet sometimes we feel like a fraud because when they walk away, they're like, what are we going to do in the next couple of years? How are we going to make these things happen? And so the question becomes, as people of faith, how does fear interact with our faith? How does fear interact with our faith? You know, we could take one of, of two tacks, I think, on the extremes. One is just that this is the world we live in and we, we've got to deal with those things and, and just kind of control them. The other direction that I think that we could take is to, to hyper-spiritualize and say that, that as people of faith, there ought not to be any fear within the community. And both of those things, I would submit to you, are actually not feasible in this world, and not what Jesus is talking about. The passage that we're going to look at today deals very, very firmly with fear. There are going to be a number of fears, and we're going to take a look at the characters and the fears that they have to overcome in coming to Jesus, and and how Jesus addresses them. And he doesn't chastise them for having fears, but instead We're going to look at the way that he responds to them. So we are in Mark chapter 5. Last week we were in Mark chapter 5 as well. Grab your Bibles. Uh, uh, Mark is the second gospel in the New Testament, so about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Uh, You get to Mark. We're in chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. So if you have a bookmark in last week's, uh, we're right at the end of that passage. So, pay attention to the fear and pay attention to how faith interacts with fear in this passage. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, the the Sea of Galilee, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. 
He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, literally the tassels on the end of his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Uh, And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Only continue believing. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word for us to do today. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we come as people full of both hope and expectation and fear and anxiety. We come as whole people living in a broken world. And so we pray that that your word would speak to us. We, We want to know how our lives are to interact with the fear of this world and what difference faith plays in that. We know that you came and you experienced everything that we have experienced, and yet we're without sin. So instruct us now. Teach our hearts to live by faith. Teach our minds to to know how to see the days. And teach us how to live as people committed to you. Strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
I said we're going to look at characters again this week. Last week we looked at the, the demon-possessed man and the townspeople and then the, uh, the demons themselves, actually. Um, this week we're going to take a look at two characters. We're going to take a look at Jairus and we're going to take a look at the woman in the story. Because these are the people who have to deal with their fears. Their faith has to interact with their fear. And we want to learn from them and learn how Jesus either does or does not commend them for the way that they are be behaving and the attitude that they are taking. First of all, Jairus. Uh, Jairus uh, is a synagogue leader. We're going to start, and, and Jairus is someone who is at the top of the social scale. Jairus is someone who has it all. He is a synagogue leader. From that, we can understand a few things about him. First of all, we can understand that he is well-respected in his community. He is an elder of sorts. If he were, if he were a Presbyterian, he would be on session. Um, he would be a leader amongst the religious community, overseeing worship services, uh, making sure that everything was in line for the synagogue, and presumably he had a bit of wealth um, not saying that it was excessive or not saying that that's a, a moral judgment, just saying that he is probably a person of means. He has status within the community. He has respect within the community. He is someone for whom things should go well. If, if anything is going to go well, they're going to go well for Jairus. But of course, we know, living in this world, that, that those things don't necessarily ensure that everything does actually go well. Jairus has a sick daughter. And if you have had a sick child and you don't know what's wrong with them, you know the fear that Jairus has had. Now, we have had this before. We've had the illnesses that we don't know what they are. But then there are the illnesses you do know. Um, uh, Ian has, uh, when he was very young, had ear infections. And it got to be the, the point where we just knew. Like, we could go into the ER because no kid gets sick during the day, right? Um, but we would go into the ER at usually 8 p.m. on a Friday. And then we would say... Our child has an ear infection. He needs to be seen. Um, they're like, oh, he has an ear infection, does he? Yep, yeah. And we would go in, and the same thing. Usually the nurses would believe us. The doctor would get in and say, well, we'll take a look. And they'd take a look and go, huh, how did you know? I'm like, well, we recognize this. Those things don't cause you fear. But it's the things that, that happen that, that you aren't sure about. The things that are outside of your scope of understanding that you start saying, why is this going on? What, what's going on here? And, and if you've had those moments, you, then you know what fear Jairus has. And of course, in his day and age, you know, we can joke about, uh, we can joke about uh, the medical practice at times because uh, you can get as many different opinions as you go, just like any other profession. But in in Jairus's and Jesus's day, you would know as well that the doctor is about a shade off of a faith healer. And so you have those questions that, that you can ask and say, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. 
And Jairus is in a desperate situation, and he comes to Jesus. Now, the question is, why do I say he's in a desperate situation so he comes to Jesus? Well, what we know is that Jesus is a very divisive person in that area. Jesus has been crossing back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. The entire first part of the Gospel of Mark happens in this area. And it's in this area where the Pharisees start getting upset a few chapters prior and saying, we got to deal with this guy. Some of the religious leaders, when I say Pharisees. And so when it comes to Jairus, a synagogue leader, saying that he is going to come to Jesus, he is already entering into divisive territory. He is already putting himself in a position of being ostracized by others, other religious leaders who have determined that Jesus is bad news for their community, bad news for their church, bad news for their synagogue. And so Jairus, in those moments, has to make a decision that may put him at odds with his community, with his surroundings, for someone that he's going to interact with and may never interact with again. Usually when we do the math on something like that, we don't want to upset our social circles. Think about the lunchroom in school. What's the cost of sitting with your friends? Nothing. What's the cost of sitting with the, with the, the social outcast in front of everyone else? Oh, there's a price to pay there, isn't there? there there's, there's a cost that, that you end up incurring. And the same is true, sadly, when we're adults. It's just that the lunchroom happened to be next to the Sea of Galilee, and the person who was ostracized happened to be Jesus. And so Jairus has a very real cost that he has to calculate here. He could lose his position within the synagogue. He could lose his social standing. But he fears losing his daughter. And so, in the midst of this, he believes that if anyone can do anything, it's Jesus. And that faith leads him through his fear and at, on his knees, falling down at the feet of Jesus. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He doesn't just say, Jesus, when you get a spare minute, could you come see me away from the crowds? Very publicly, he falls down at Jesus' feet. I paint some of this because I want to paint the picture that, that there is a fear that has to be overcome here. There, it isn't just a, a, a pride issue. It's not just a, a, uh, an, an, a, an age issue. But there are very, very real fears that Jairus has to work through. And yet his faith in Jesus pushes him through that. Let's put Jairus to the side for one minute. We're going to pick him up in a second. Because Jesus says, yes, I will come with you. But on his way there, he is encountered by someone on the opposite end of the social scale. Here we have a woman 
who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. That's the introduction we get to her. And right off the bat, we learn some things about her. Um, The fact that she is a woman and approaching a rabbi is one thing. That is a fear that would have had to have been overcome. But because of her, her disease, because of her ailment, because of the bleeding, she would have been rendered ceremonially unclean because of the Jewish cleanliness laws. She would not have been able to touch anyone, otherwise that uncleanness would be transferred to the other person. And so what you would do is basically quarantine. We didn't like COVID for however long it happened in Pennsylvania. Varied state by state from my understanding. She was unclean and quarantined for 12 years. That's a long time. 12 years without being able to, to touch someone? Twelve, I'm an introvert and that sounds like a long period of time. 12 years without a hug? 12 years without a handshake? 12 years without uh, your, your spouse or without your children or without your grandchildren or without your parents? That's a painful, painful disease. And so right off the bat, she is, she is ostracized and she is by herself. And so we understand that there is a, a large amount of fear because no one would want to touch her either. That's the thing. It's not like visiting through a window because there would be the, the concern that that uncleanliness would be transferred to the other person. And so very much there was a fear that surrounded her that kept other people away. And over those 12 years, she had tried to have doctors, again, try to heal her. Instead of getting better, she got worse. And no doubt in her mind somewhere, she was saying, when does this end? How does this end? Does it end? Or do I end? How does this get resolved? She might have had a little bit of wealth once, but like I said, it, that is gone as well. So not only is she unclean, not only are people afraid of her, but she has lost her, her, her wealth, her economic standing, her ability to provide for herself. And so even in this situation with the crowd pressing around Jesus, she would have been fear to approach that crowd that someone would have recognized her and pointed her out and noted that she was unclean because anyone she touched in that crowd, let alone Jesus, would have become unclean by her touch. There's a lot of fear that she has to overcome. There's a lot of fear that she would have had to have considered. And yet, as we look at this, we... She, we find out that she decides when she hears about Jesus, verse 27, she comes up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Her faith pushes through that fear. It doesn't eliminate it. it, it the scripture doesn't tell us that because of her faith, she uh, magically felt like she could do it and went. She felt fine. No. She goes, despite all the fears that surround her, despite the fear that presses in on her, 
and she goes up to Jesus because in verse 28 she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She has a faith that allows her to push through the midst of that fear and to the feet of Jesus once again. As I said, in touching the hem of Jesus' cloak, it, it would have been the tassels at the bottom of his cloak. She is not walking up in plain sight. She is crawling through that crowd. She is finding her way underneath people to get to a tassel that is on the cloak of Jesus. Because if I can even do that, that, he will be able to heal me. And she pushes through the fear and she pushes through the crowd. And when she touches Jesus, notice this, he isn't even paying attention. Power goes out from him. He is able to heal her without him even being aware of her presence there. Now, I asked the Sunday school class this this morning. Who has been in a subway in a major city? I've been in the subway in Boston after a Red Sox game. (laughs) That sort of idea is, is what we're looking at. Say, in the middle of, of, of the Green Line trolley to North Station, me just standing there saying, who touched me? And Katie would look at me and say, what? What are you talking about? In those situations, it's not who touched me, it's who is going to touch me. You know, you, you kind of choose who's going to be touching you and you get to that part of the, the trolley car. And it's that situation where the the disciples are saying, who touched you? Are you kidding me? Now, the disciples, as it was pointed out in Sunday school, had seen uh, seen Jesus calm the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. They had just seen him heal the, the Gerasene demoniac that we talked about from last week. And they come into this and they're saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? They're practical people. They are you and I. Because we would have said the same thing in that situation. Who touched you? Who didn't touch you? List is shorter, Jesus. Keep going. (laughs) And yet Jesus, in response to the faith of the woman, power goes out to him, and notice what it says in the next verse. He kept looking for her. He didn't look at the practical. He wasn't satisfied with, with the practical answer, but he keeps looking when everyone says, when anyone would have said, you're not going to find who touched you. You're looking for one specific person? Ain't going to happen. But he keeps looking. He keeps searching for her. At that point, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, verse 33, came and fell at his feet. Someone else falling at Jesus' feet. Trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And his response to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. The 
there would have been fear there, there would have been concern, and Jesus doesn't address that, but he commends the woman for her faith and for the fact that she persisted, and in response to her persistence, he persists in looking after her and calls her daughter. This is where we pick Jairus back up. Because while this happens in this interruption, people come back from Jairus' ha- uh, house and say to him, your daughter's dead. Just let the teacher go about his own way. Jesus overhears this. And he says something very, very interesting. Because here is, is an outright teaching of Jesus on the issue of fear. Overhearing what the, the people coming from Jairus' house say, he says to, the, uh, to Jairus, don't be afraid. Most translations take the second phrase and say, just believe. That makes it sound like believing starts there. The actual phrase that Jesus uses is, keep on believing. The man has had faith already. He came to Jesus in faith. He fell, on Jesus, fell at Jesus' feet in faith. And here Jesus says, don't let it overtake you right now. Keep on believing. Don't stop just because of the circumstances have changed. Because in that, we understand that Jesus is about to reveal that he is Lord not just of, of sicknesses and diseases of the living, but he is Lord over death itself as well. He is there to prefigure what he is going to do ultimately to death. And he tells Jairus, keep on believing. Jairus could have said, I'm sorry, that's, it's up. We think that, that the ancients were a very mystical people. We think that the ancients were, were very, very bent on magic, and, but the ancients knew some things very well, I think better than we know them. And one of the things that the ancients knew better than we did was death. They had much more experience with death than we did. Usually, unless you are in a, a, a profession such as mine, or so, if you work with forensics, if you work in medicine, then you come into contact with death. But for most people, it is something that happens away. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot. You know, even the language surrounding it changes to, to keep us uh, to keep us from experiencing it too much. Language around funerals has changed in the past 20 years, 20, 30 years. We no longer have a funeral. We no longer have a memorial service. It's a celebration of life. We've couched it in more positive terms. Uh, A hearse is no longer a hearse. It's a funeral coach. We do a lot to, to keep the discussion of death away We do a lot to keep it at bay. And yet Jesus here is saying, don't allow that fear to creep in. Those those people would have known what death was. There's no saying, well, she was in a coma. There's no saying, oh, she, she, whatever, had a seizure or whatnot. They knew what death was. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't matter. Just keep on believing. 
And he goes in and he touches her, holds her hand and says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. There was no condemnation for Jairus for the fact that he had fear. That there, there was, his decisions were fraught with anxiety. But the faith, faith didn't eliminate that, but it helped them to push through fear and to the feet of Jesus. That's what faith does. We have fears mentioned at the beginning. Some of them are, are more superficial. I'm, I'm not uh, the best around spiders unless I have a shoe. <laughs> then I'm pretty good. But there are that, some that are more deep. Like I said, significance. Do I make a difference in this world? Do I have a purpose in this world? In a, in a world where I can be anything... Do I mean anything? Fear of harm to our family. We want to protect our loved ones. We want to protect our family. We, we work hard to create an environment where they live and they fr- thrive and they, ha- and they get purpose and meaning and health. But what happens when we can't control that? What happens like with our prayer requests when it's a six-month-old and we're praying for their life? What happens when we're feeling the lack of friends? What happens when we feel alone? What happens when we have however many social media friends and we feel desperately, desperately by ourselves? What happens when we feel that we have disappointed our family? that we have disappointed others, that we have let others down. Those are real things that we face. And Jesus here teaches us that faith doesn't eliminate those situations, but what happens is that through faith, we are able to push through them to the feet of Jesus. That this world will have trouble, as he says in John. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice that he doesn't say, take heart, you have faith, so everything will be all right. Boy, wouldn't that be nice. But that's not what he says. He says, take heart. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Faith doesn't eliminate the fear and the anxiety and the pain in this world, but it allows us, it is the strength that allows us to move to the feet of Jesus to the one who is able to overcome this world, to the one who is able to redeem our pain, to the one who is able to make all things new. That's the hope. So do you have to have the strength? No. This week you have to have the faith to come to the feet of Jesus and to find what you need to overcome, that he will overcome deepest fears that you have this week. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what's on people's hearts this week, but you do. Let your Holy Spirit be working on each of our hearts in the deepest recesses, in the darkest recesses where 
where we don't know what's going to happen and where we fear the things that will happen, let your spirit be working to strengthen our faith to come to you. Lord, you are so good. You are so gentle with us. And yet your power is beyond what we can imagine. Help us to live in such a way that reflects our faith in you and your love of us. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.